fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 19 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. I am joined in this episode, though, by a man who is quite the fan. He has probably the biggest collection I have personally seen. Uh, He is a man by the name of Brian Silver. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Uh, Great to be here, for sure. I'm very excited to talk about the collection and kind of see where you got some of these amazing pieces but first, I gotta ask this because I ask all my first-time guests this: What is your Metallica story? You obviously are a longtime fan. You obviously are a die-hard fan. You've compiled this collection. What got you to this point? What began it all? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I grew up playing drums, and I remember clearly fifth grade. Another drummer, good friend of mine back uh, in the day, a guy named Dan Lingren. We went over to his house, and his older brother Jonas was a big fan. Of Metallica, also a drummer, had a Tama Rockstar DX drum set, and I remember my buddy Dan came up to me with a Injustice for All tape, and he's like, "You've got to listen to this." And the first song he put on was "Harvester of Sorrow," and I remember instantly being like, "Oh my god, I've never heard anything like this in my entire <laughs> life," and uh, totally, totally freaked out. And uh, then we played one, and from there we just played Harvester and one, Harvester and one, Harvester and one. <laughs> and his brother let me borrow the tape, and I went back home, and in the old days of dubbing tapes from one tape to another, I dubbed it um, and listened to it nonstop until I finally went out and got a copy, and that was the beginning of it. And I could tell you I've never looked back. There's never been a, a point in my life, even through all the turmoil that Metallica's put us through, yeah. um, that I've ever second-guessed, uh, you know, what what their creativity is and things like that and so that was it and it's scary to look back that that's 25 plus years ago for me already that uh that i got into this band that's great so you mentioned the turmoil i gotta ask you real first uh uh i gotta ask you this is the birthday of uh saint anger the most beloved metallic album that we're recording this on uh what are your thoughts on the saint anger album so, and and that's where I mentioned this today, obviously, is it's all over the internet about the birthday of St. Anger, and just the other day was the birthday of Load. Um, right. I loved, I loved Load personally. Um, you know, I respected every album for a, for a different side of Metallica. Um, do, do a lot of songs from St. Anger in my playlist often. No, not, not that often. Um, but I don't hate it. I didn't, you know, burn albums like people did and, and things like that. But... <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, when you when you miss guitar solos and you miss some of those great riffs and, you know, they just did some very basic stuff on that. You know, and I read some Bob Rock interviews today, you know, about the sound he was trying to get. Um, I understand where it was coming from. But just to me, it was never it, it was never anything that really struck a, a nerve right. with me that I had to keep listening to. Yeah. Dare I ask about Lulu? See, I, don't even think, I don't even think I made it through the entire album, to be honest with you. I absolutely hated when, it. When you come on Metallicast, it's trial by fire. <laughs> I know. I, look, I get it. You know, I, uh, And it's funny that you ask about that because when I was doing all this reading on St. Anger today, one of the things they actually brought up was how they did this song uh, with Swiss Beats and Ja Rule oh, when, yes. ja- when James was in rehab. And it started 
hashing out all the bad things that they've actually done over time. And you kind of block those bad memories out. And I would absolutely put, I'd put Lulu in that category for sure. <laughs> well, we have, uh, I've had a, a writer on the show named Richard Hess. He, and the, what well, he came on my radar because he wrote uh, a lengthy essay in defense of St. Anger. And uh, so I read the essay. I'm like, I need to get this guy on. So we had like a two hour conversation about the album. And, and then he came back and we did a track by track breakdown of the album. And then we did a, uh, it was supposed to be like a mini episode, like a short mini episode uh, where we were going to talk about, the Swiss Beats Ja Rule song, we did it again. Um, and for we yeah. somehow turned what was supposed to be like a 15-minute mini-episode to like a 45-minute full-length. Um, but I went on record to say it is like the one thing Metallica's put on record that I cannot defend. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And you know, the funny thing is actually when you think about St. Anger and you go track by track versus an entire album, it's not terrible, right? It's really not, you know, I mean, there are some good songs on there for sure. Um, you know, but I think overall as an album, you know, when you pieced it all together, it was like, uh, ah, whatever, but you know, there's definitely songs I'd love to hear live and they started playing them again, you know, just recently on the worldwide yeah. tour. So, um, you know, I mean, you got to love some of those songs. You really, and again, it's, it's creative, creative and it's growing and, you know, look, yeah. when they wrote that stuff, they weren't the 28-year-olds that wrote the Black Album. you got to face that. Right. And I think, so. I, I do think, I will say, this will be my last bit I will say on St. Anger. People are going to think I'm obsessed about this album. I'm really not. <laughs> I feel like I spent a lot of time on this podcast <laughs> talking about it. I just think it's such like a fascinating time in their career. But um, I do think if you took those songs and had a cleaner more traditional production on it and add some guitar solos i think people would have been a lot warmer and uh would have embraced it a lot more i don't think it's really the songs themselves so much as uh just like the overall presentation of the album yeah i, I definitely agree with that that and the fact that Lars should never use a four-piece kit again because he needs a lot more <laughs> so uh you got into Metallica on the Justice for All uh, level, and then I got it. I was laughing to myself because I, Harvester of Sorrow is about as dark as it gets in the Metallica catalog. <laughs> so if you can wrap your head around infanticide, then you can kind of <laughs> warmly embrace the rest of what came yeah, no before. <laughs> yeah, you know, for, you know, for me, I just you know, I remember that as a as a kid playing drums, and I was very young playing drums at that point and you just hear that introduction and that you know that first drum or that snare tom riff is it's yeah. like what the hell were what the hell did he just hit there and yeah, yeah. that just started to connect with me and you know shortly after that when a year and a half you know came out and they show them playing it live that was just like oh god this song's just even better you know so yeah um that's where it came from um Let's do this, Brian. Let's jump into this massive collection you have because I do not want to take up a lot of valuable podcast time because I feel like there's so much to get to in this massive collection. So you were kind enough uh, before uh, we recorded tonight, you sent me some pictures and then bef right before you kind of gave me a quick video tour of what you got. Explain to people what they would see if they came. I'll, I'll call it your Metallica Museum. 
Because sure. <laughs> I, I, I say that because I feel like, you know, when I, I, I do want to clarify before I let you describe this to the listeners. Um, when I say Metallica collection, I'm not talking about things that anybody could go to the store and buy. I'm not like I'm, you. You have the action figures. You have the posters. But I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. You yeah, have, there's no, there's no shift knobs. There's no glasses in my collection. Yeah, there's a one, like one in a like one of a kind, extremely unique parts of Metallica history that I, I'm fascinated to learn how you acquired some of these pieces because they belong in the rock and roll hall of fame. <laughs> Those yeah. are the kind of pieces you have. So please explain to people what they would see. So, uh, you know, I would, I would say it was best described. A couple big Metallica fans came and visited me. One came from London a couple months ago. Another one came in from Ohio and they wanted to see my collection and they said it best. And, and I'm, you know, to me, I collect for myself and, I don't have a lot of friends in the Chicagoland area that are big Metallica fans that would truly understand what I have. But when they saw it, they said, well, the best way to describe it is anything that you would see on tour right now in their little Metallica museum, I have and then some, and probably some of the things are even more rare than that. And to me, you know, collecting is all in the eye of the beholder, not to use a pun like that, but it truly is. And, <laughs> You know, some some people like to collect the shift knobs that Metallica put out. My thing when I started with my collection was I wanted to capture different moments within their history. And so, you know, with the exception of one or two things here and there, and a lot of my focus is on the early years as well, too, is, you know, I want to make sure that I get things that represent milestones within their career. And, you know, through 10 plus years of collecting and, and networking and meeting people that were with Metallica at the very beginning and with people that are with Metallica now, um, you know, I've been lucky that I've been introduced to a lot of people that have things. A lot of collectors over the years have turned to me as kind of the go-to person to look at autographs and authenticate them um, on just on looking at Metallica stuff. So, I mean, I've spent a lot of my time in making this my true hobby. So it's been a lot of um, some things were acquired personally, a lot of things, you know, I wasn't around, well, I was, but I wasn't a Metallica fan in 82 and 83 and 84. And so sometimes, you know, I would make a big trade to get a piece that would send me backwards, but, you know, kind of needed to notch that part of their history. And so right. it became a big, a big puzzle, right, to, to figure it out. And, you know, I don't want things that are mass produced. I want things that are really, they were never meant to be kept as collector's items. And somehow these things still exist in this world. And, um, yeah. you know, I'm lucky that I, I've... You know, I've obtained quite a bit of it. Do you remember sort of like the first piece that you got in your collection that sort of was like that kind of started this whole hobby? Of- yeah. So, uh, you know, I the first piece that I ever got from Metallica was a signed, uh, a signed Master of Puppets sleeve that was signed by the four of them. And at that time, I didn't know if it was real or anything like that. And it was signed by Cliff and it had a cool little thing. That's a drink them all with a little drawing of a, of a beer bottle on it. And I bought that and it was just, and it was just the, it was just the sleeve. And, um, you know, at that time I went through and got it, got it authenticated through a couple different places, um, which is not something I do anymore. Cause I'm able to spot what's real and not. 
And then from that, I created it and turned it into a great piece. I found a picture of the four of them during that era, and I turned it into a great piece and hung it on my wall. And that was really the start of it for me. Um, and unfortunately, I ended up trading that piece a couple of years back to get something else. But that was, to me, all of a sudden was like, all right, I need to collect Metallica because every kid when you're young usually collects baseball or sports right. memorabilia. And, and I did that as well, too, at one point. But my passion has always been Metallica. And I said, you know what? That's something people don't have. And so that just kind of catapulted it. And, you know, what happened was I, you know, I stumbled across a couple of rare things. And then all of a sudden it was like, holy cow, I've got to keep going. I've got to do this. And um, I've got a very patient wife. I've got, you know, two little kids that I, two little kids and I've taken over their playroom. So um, I was going to ask you what your family thinks of this. well, Well, you know, it's funny. Every time something comes in, I get excited. My wife gets upset. But then as soon as, but as soon as somebody comes to the house and, you know, they go downstairs, my wife gets excited and she wants to show our Metallica collection. Um, So, so it's, it's funny how that works. My, uh, my, my two kids love it, except for some of their friends are, are afraid of a couple of my pieces. Like, you know, I've got James's, uh, shirt from the 86 tour, um, that he got from Glenn Danzig, the Sam Hems shirt. And it's got a pretty ugly drawing on it, pretty scary drawing. And some of the kids get scared of that. So, um, you know, one thing that I've had to do as I've, you know, my kids have gotten older is I've had to kind of reposition some of the things that said, fuck you. And then, you know, right. fuck them all yeah. and things like that. Cause I've got a seven and a four year old right now. And their kids, yeah, yeah. their friends are running around. Probably not the first piece they want to see when they come down the steps. Yeah, the friends go home and say fuck them all to the parents. Where did you learn that? Right, exactly. I moved my alcoholica piece back a little bit so, you know, these kids don't know what that is. That's really funny. Well, lucky for you, you have a very uh, understanding yeah. wife where you can not just acquire these pieces but put them on displays because, uh, you know, to – I while I've not been there in person, I feel like I've sort of gone the layout from what you've shown me. So you open the door to your basement, and it's just this staircase, and it's just the whole wall's plastered with Metallica pictures, posters. They fall you down the stairs, and then it's like the Holy Grail, where you have <laughs> more posters, more pictures, some uh, some common, a lot of them rare, and as you walk around the room, you just find these incredible pieces of Metallica history. Sure. Uh, that's the, that's the whole point of it. So let's dive into some of these pieces. I, it, it, please share as much as you're comfortable sharing. Um, but you know, just sort of maybe how you acquired a piece or if there's a cool story behind it, because, uh, in looking at the pictures you sent me and, you know, seeing some of the stuff you were showing me on the video tour, uh, my mind is like still spinning at how you have some of these things. Yeah. So excuse me while I nerd out on your collection. Um, <laughs> I do it. I do it all the time myself. <laughs> um, so one of the things that stood out to me was you have a series of handwritten lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I say a series cause you have them from various songs. Um, Master Puppets is my all-time favorite Metallica album, all-time favorite Metallica song. You have the handwritten lyrics for Master of Puppets, and I mm-hmm. believe they are signed by Cliff Burden, correct? Correct. So 
how does one get the handwritten Master Puppets lyrics? God, a lot, honestly, a lot, a lot of luck, a lot of luck. Um, yeah. So those, so those lyrics were signed. Um, Metallica played the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, 85. And uh, it was a very, you know, that show is actually in their box set now. And they did a, um, they, they did a radio spot. And one of the things that they did was, they wrote down a bunch of stuff, and, and one of the DJs at the time asked asked them to write out the lyrics for Master of Puppets so that they can follow along because um, the song was so new at the time, and so they were actually written out by Cliff. Um, they're on the back of the loops. Uh, they're on the, the backside shows the loop, which is a very famous Chicago radio station, and right. uh, Cliff wrote out all the lyrics and signed them in the corner, um, and they were around <laughs> for years, and just being in Chicago, I got lucky. I found it, and... Uh, had to acquire it. I think to me, as amazing as that is, something that is more amazing is I'm, I'm lucky that I've got um, some handwritten lyrics that are on some original flyers from August of 82. And I've got uh, Jump in the Fire, I've got Hit the Lights, and I've got Phantom Lord. And they're all written by James. And they were actually written for when, for the time when James was debating if he still wanted to be the lead singer for Metallica. Right, yeah. And... They were written for a guy named Sammy Dijon, and nobody will find this guy in any history books or anything like that. But Sammy Dijon came in, and he jammed with the band and auditioned, and he gave him to one of his buddies who was in another local band in in uh, California. And he had the, he had them for years, and maybe four or five years ago, I saw him post pictures of it, and I just shot him a note that said, any interest in selling me? He said, absolutely not. And uh, <laughs> we finally went back and forth and got him, and... Uh, Maybe it was February, March. Lars was in town in Chicago doing a uh, internight uh, thing. And so after, afterwards, I went up to him and I showed him the pictures and I said, hey, you got to see some of the stuff I've got. And security was trying to rush me through. And he started looking at some of the pictures and he said, whoa, 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 wait, you see these lyrics? These are Sammy DeJohn's lyrics. And he looked at me like I was a fucking leper. He's like, how do you know about Sammy DeJohn? Because, because he's, he's not in any history books. And right. he said, these yeah. were his lyrics and he was blown away. And, uh, wow. he ended up looking at, he actually took my phone and my buddy was snapping pictures and we talked for probably four or five minutes going through my collection, not wow. quite piece by piece, but, um, yeah, yeah. you know, Lars was to say he was floored and he's the ultimate Metallica collector, right. uh, was pretty cool. And so we got, a uh, some videos of him looking at my phone and his expressions when he saw those <laughs> lyrics that really, that really fucked with his mind to hear that name out of the past. That is amazing. I, it's funny because when I was getting these pictures, I was like, the first thought that came to my mind was like, how, one, if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does not have these, how does Lars Ulrich not have these? Because yeah. he catalogs it all, you know? Yeah, no, do- no doubt. No doubt. When he saw, so one of the pieces that I have that I showed you was, I've got Johnny Z's original demo tape that Lars handed him before they ever wow. got signed. And it's, uh, you know, it's in Lars's writing. I got it through an auction. Johnny C sold a whole bunch of stuff in 2004. And yeah. I wish I had more money at the time. And unfortunately, I didn't. And <laughs> I showed that to Lars. And that is literally the beginning of Metallica's history as we know it as yeah. fans. And he looked at me and said, how do I get that? And I said, you've got, I said, you've got a million things that I would trade for this thing. <laughs> so where to um, start. <laughs> so, right, so where to start. So I've thought in my head what it was. And interesting enough was he's asked me to, to contact the Met club and send them a note that, you know, we spoke and all this stuff. And so I sent it um, and I haven't heard anything back, which I'm sure they get 
emails like that all the time. Right. Yeah, Lars yeah, told yeah. me to do this, and so <laughs> so I'm not hold, I'm not holding my breath on it. But if, yeah. if Lars, if you hear this, I will still trade you the demo. You got a lot of shit I want, <laughs> so let's figure a price. Hey, if Lars has listened to Metallicast, come on my damn show. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And then meet with Brian, and then trade for the freaking demo tape. Come on, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that is an awesome story. Um, it, it, I was laughing too because when I was looking at the pictures, and I you sent me a picture of the Jump of the Fire uh, lyrics, and they're the original ones that uh, Dave Mustaine wrote. So they're yep. all just about like they're just horribly cheesy sexual innuendo lyrics. No, they're horrible. Right. <laughs> it's horrible. like move your lips or move your hips around or something, whatever the lyric, whatever the line is. Yeah, it's obnoxiously cheesy and horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to, had to keep them for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a cool story about Cliff writing the lyrics because also when I was looking at that, I'm like that does not look like James's writing, you know. You get used to his yeah. writing because he's so much of the stuff is printed in his in 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 his handwriting, you know. Yeah. Um. But those are cool stories. Um. So many things to get to. I feel like so you. Uh. All right. You mentioned the Samhain shirt that James wore on the Master Puppets tour. Uh, sure. That Glenn Danzig gave him. How do we get into uh? How do we get into uh, possession of that? God, you know. Uh... So when I was at the 30th anniversary shows, um, which at this point were seven plus years ago, um, I got to meet a lot of the old school bangers and I met a lot of them through Ron Quintana. Quintana. And so I was never a friend of Ron Quintana. Don't get me wrong. But um, when Facebook and things like that first started off, I found him online and I friend requested him and he actually sold me at the time for like next to nothing, a whole bunch of original flyers. And so we kept in touch and met at um, met at the 30th anniversary shows. And, and uh, you know, he just started introducing me to some of the other people that were around. And one of the people that he introduced me to um, was Corinne Lynn, who was obviously Cliff's girlfriend at the time. And mm-hmm. um, I actually had Corinne Lynn's backstage pass from the Master of Puppets tour. So um, I told her that if she want, you know, if she ever wanted it back, let me know. And she said, if you ever want anything, let me know. And she sent me a note that just said, I've got this shirt. If you're interested, let me know. Of course, I'm interested in it. So um, I acquired the shirt from her. I never heard uh, heard from her about the pass. And up until a couple of years ago, I actually had her pass and sold that to a collector who's got in his his collection now on the other side of the world. Something I probably wish I would have held on to but needed to kind of trade up for my collection. But that was kind of how I got that shirt acquired. So um, it it was was pretty cool to get. And so I've got that framed up and – I got a shirt that Kirk was wearing in 86, 87, um, framed up right next to that as well, too. Uh, so you also have the glove that James the glove. wore. The glove after uh, the infamous uh, incident on the Guns N' Roses tour. Sure. Um, the story. <laughs> the story. The story. So, you know, uh, again, I just, uh, over time, I, you know, I met some people. And one of the people that I met that a lot of people got to know later after I got to know her um, was Carol Smith, who was Tony Smith's wife. Uh, you know, Tony Smith was Metallica's former tour manager. And so mm-hmm. years before she ever started selling a bunch of stuff, 
her and I just became friendly. She sent my daughter some uh, Metallica promo jackets, jean jackets oh, cool. that were from the Black Album era. And she had a whole bunch of stuff that I was able to get from her. And that was one of them that's without a doubt something that belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, yeah. But I've got I think there were two of them that he wore and I've got one of them and he printed his name on it uh, around the elastic part. And so to have that yeah. is is amazing. I think the other thing that I got from her, I got a lot of things, but I think the other thing that really to me stood out as a moment in their time was um, several of the bands stood up in her wedding when she married Tony Smith and it was 1989 when they got married, and that obviously was a very heavy drinking time for Metallica. And so right. I've got a signed, I've got a signed Jaeger bottle by all four of them, and they've all got messages about, you know, don't fucking do it, you know, you know all this. And so, um, and the story she told me before she gave me this bottle was that, you know, the band drank the entire bottle of Jaeger at their wedding. So imagine what they turned out to be. But you know, pretty cool thing. And again, that to yeah. me. I've got one other thing, but that really describes the Alcoholica years for Metallica to have a bottle of Jaeger. And you know, I remember right. James said in one of his interviews that you know he would drink Jaeger and you know he yeah. wouldn't remember things and he would just get really, really angry. And so I said, "Oh my God, <laughs> I did not have a bottle of Jaeger signed by all four, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in the collection." So that made it from her as well too. So I got a, I got a couple great pieces from her, but to me, like I said, those two and obviously the cliff is or the the glove is is a piece that belongs in the hall yeah. of fame. Um, those are special, right? I mean, every, yeah. every Metallica fan knows what that glove is as soon as they see it. Right. And it's such a, like, when you see that, you're like, you can't fake that. You can't like manufacture that. It's like a one of a kind, or I guess two of a kind, right. um, just very unique. So super, super cool. Um, so I, a lot of the things, um, you know, seem to be from just the, friends acquaintances you've made from those early years uh one thing i thought was funny uh that you had i was trying to figure out what it was it was i think it was something from lars it was like on legal pad paper or something it said something about geocillin tablets on the top it looked like yeah. maybe something like a handwritten receipt or something like that or yeah yeah checks so and balances I've got, I've, I've got i've got i've got several of those and those were sold um by Johnny Z in his 2004 auction, um, and so there's there's there are literally handwritten receipts either by written by Johnny Z signed by Lars or Marsha Z signed by Lars, and you know my favorite one says you know it says like eighty dollars to Metal Joe, a hundred dollars for Drum Skin, and then it says a hundred and then it says a hundred dollar advance to Lars Ulrich, and it's signed by him, and below it he writes money for room and booze. And you think about that, right? I mean, he needed a, they needed an advance for a hotel room and, and for booze. And, yeah, all of life's you know, necessities. Right. And, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy that nearly 40 years later is worth $200 million. But there's a receipt that he needed $100 to, to get a hotel room for the night. So, you yeah. know, I got, a, I got a couple of those different receipts um, that I was able to get when Johnny was selling off some of that stuff. So I've got four of those. And, uh, again, just trying to cement a, a – unique time in their career and to acquire something like that that was never meant to be kept as a collectible right. those are the best types of things for me is yeah. it's a sheet of paper that's all that is um yeah. but you know it tells us it tells a story and that's important for for me as a collector and what i try to do within my collection yeah those are totally cool because those are you know think of how many bands do something similar or have something similar and they mean nothing you know, or they were just right. thrown away. Like the chances and luck that those pieces were saved over time, 
and that this band went on to be who they are. Like all right. these things need to line up just for like this one moment of history that was never meant to be history. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know that freaks me out all the time when I when I see stuff and there's plenty of things I'd love to get and I can't acquire or you know they get they go for too much. But that's what what you think about is you know a lot of things I got there from 1982 and 1983 and you know there are a couple of uh, teenagers right and. You know, they're signing their name on shit like it doesn't matter. And, yeah. you know, and somehow this stuff has been kept and lasted the test of time. And now they're arguably the biggest rock and roll band in the world. And, yeah. you know, this shit was never meant. And, and that's what's to me, that's what's so cool. Right. They produced, right. you know, the shift knobs that were signed and those are cool. It's just not my cup of tea. You know, to me, again, it's they're things that were never meant to be a collectible that become yeah. a real collectible. And that's what I that's what I really focus on. Do you, so do you think, right, so let's say, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I'm not sure you could build the same type of collection um, from, like, you know, the modern era of Metallica, you know? Um, yeah, well... Because things, are, like you said, are just so... It's just so much different now. Right, and it will never happen. I mean, you know, obviously... <laughs> you know, so much stuff's done electronically and, you know, just our world's different, but I mean, you know, my basement and the story we all know, it tells a story of four fuck, you know, four fucks that just played music and tried <laughs> to, tried to get by. And nowadays, you know, every kid's got pro tools and tries to play a song and tries right. to get famous and it, it will just, this stuff will never be, you know, I couldn't even tell you if a band like the Foo Fighters who have been around for 20 plus years have this type of history you know, yeah. that, is, that is out there because of the, the era that they were in. And, and again, I yeah. mean, the fact that they are who they are and this stuff exists still boggles my mind. And, you know, I think one thing that people got to learn when they're collecting Metallica stuff is that, um, so many people, you know, I'm blessed. I've got over 30 signed pieces by cliff, the entire band with cliff and people mm -hmm. say, Oh, it's impossible. But the reality is, is that if you're digging and looking in the right places, it's, it's fairly common to find some stuff by Cliff. Of course, there's a ton of forgeries out there. But, you know, in 83, 4, 85, 86, you know, they would sit down after shows at a table and just sign their lives away. You know, right. and they were signing everything. I, you know, I've told people that, you know, it's harder to get a James Hetfield signed autograph in 2017, 2018, 2019 right now than many times it is to find a Cliff Burton, Cliff Burton piece. And, yeah. you know, it's just... They were young kids trying to make it, and they did anything to grow their fan base and get right. people to like them and their music. And that's right. why that stuff that stuff that's why it exists out there. Right, and now they can. They're at a point where they can be more selective. So now you have, you know, James does not even do the fan club meet and greets anymore and stuff. That's the decision he's made. So you're probably right. It's probably easier to get like James Hetfield autograph Black Album era or Master Puppets era than it is. Uh, hardwired to self-destruct era. <laughs> you know, and, and that's no doubt. You know, I have, you know, I, I have people that contact me all the, all, all around the world and ask me, you know, about values of pieces about off, you know, if something's authentic and, you know, oftentimes I'll give them a price of my personal opinion. And I, I'm always watching what things are buying and selling for on markets. And there was yeah. just a huge auction that ended last week um, on a website called backstage auctions. So people are always asking me when I tell them, you know, the price that I believe a Cliff Byrne autograph goes for, they're like, what are you talking about? And I explained to them, there's a lot more Cliff autographs than there are James autographs nowadays. 
And all of a sudden yeah. people start to sit back and think about it. And you're like, holy shit, you know, it is, yeah. it is getting hard to get a James piece. And so, yeah. uh, you know, again, most Metallica fans don't want to let go of a cliff piece for sentimental value, right. but it, you know, that's a, that's a, a big thing in the collecting world is those cliff pieces are still very expensive, but they're more obtainable than getting James to sign something at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. A um, few questions popped into my mind when you were speaking. So let's say somebody's listened to this. They have, you know, nothing besides the Metallica albums and, you know, how, but they, they want to see what's out there. They want to start building collection. What, how would you recommend somebody starts? What, what would be a good starting point in your opinion? Well, I think, you know, first of all, you got to collect what you want to collect, right? So, you know, I knew when I was collecting, I was never going to be a good vinyl collector because there's people that have right. better vinyl collections than me. You know, there's a guy that a lot of people know named Joe Pacella. He's got the most amazing Metallica shirt collection you'll ever see. You, you know, that's his passion. We all, you know, there's a couple of us nuts and we all kind of have our own passion. Yeah, yeah. So find what you like and then go for it. There's a, you know, there's a great website I'm an admin on or a Facebook group called Metallica Collectors. We just crossed 10,000 people. You know, we don't do any of the bullshit. Don't post videos of them in the 80s or 90s. It's strictly collecting. Um, and <laughs> so, you know, it's nice to see what's out there. And, and you know, yeah. collect for yourself. Don't collect for other people. And don't compare your collection to anybody else's. If you're happy, do it. And you know what? If you want to collect cassette tapes, then find the best fucking cassette tapes that are out there. If you want to collect yeah. autographs, don't get scammed with fake autographs. That's the hardest <laughs> thing. And, you know, I mean, I'm in probably the most vulnerable collection with autographs and, and rare mm rare pieces and rare flyers and that's hard, you know, and believe me, I've been burned plenty, plenty of times before I got it right to know what I was collecting. And every time I found out I got burned, I ended up throwing something away. You know, I would never resell something again. And, you know, I flushed a couple thousand dollars down the drain from when I first yeah. started collecting buying fake autographs. So, you know, if you're going to do autographs, you got to be careful. And there's a great community that's out there to support you and tell you what they think on metallic autographs. Um, but they're also not experts either. So, Find your thing, stick with it, and whatever makes you happy is is what you should collect. How did you get so good at um, recognizing autographs? Just from seeing so many authentic pieces and just being, you know, noticing subtle differences, or yeah, I mean, you know, it it, it became my hobby to truly study their autographs about ten years ago, and so you know, there's a, a guy that's very famous that does it for the Beatles and, and that's all he does. And so, you know, there's, a, there, you know, there's companies that authenticate pieces, PSA and Beckett and JSA and all these. But to me, it was always like, how can they be an expert if they authenticate 10,000 different autographs? So right. I didn't believe what they were saying after a while. And so I took it upon myself to just become obsessive compulsive with it. Right. And look at millions of different pieces online and in person and, other collectors and, you know, slowly just started learning, you know, it, what were they doing in certain eras? And, you know, the autographs from 83 changed from 83 to 85 and again in 86. And then when did, you know, the 88 signatures change and what were the ways James wrote his J and his connected his AYs and some of these things that nobody would ever look at that are yeah. dead giveaways, you know? And so it just became, uh, you know, a, a true passion. So yeah, it's been, it's been sense. a lot, it's been a lot of time. It's been a lot of research, you know, it's been a lot of asking questions and it's something that, you know, a lot of people I think have, 
uh, you know, I, I'm honored that a lot of people think that I'm the, the go-to person to get advice for on them. And, and I just continue. I mean, every day, you know, I'm not a big eBay guy, but every once in a while you'll find something, but I'm constantly on eBay looking and really I'm looking at a lot of fake signatures, um, because yeah. it's primarily what's out there. But, you know, I look at those two and I look at what makes them fake. And so when somebody asks me, you know, I can reference those things. And, uh, right. I think that's what, that's what makes me good at, you know, at the autograph piece. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Um, I had a question that popped into my mind, but I, before I get to it, um, you know, you have so many jewels in your collection. I've only mentioned a few that I feel like scratched the surface. What major ones are my leaving out that, uh, you think people would find of interest? Uh, I think to me, one of the favorites is, um, there's a, photographer that started with Metallica at the early days. And he has a book out, um, about, I think it's called the garage days. If I remember correctly, a guy named Bill Hal. And, uh, he photographed Metallica in 82 and early 83. And, um, there's a very famous shot. It's actually dubbed called the shot heard around the world. And it's of Dave Mustaine, Ron McGovney, James and Lars backstage, uh, November of 82. Um, and this picture has been bootlegged all over the world. It's in books. It's on, uh, LPs, and it was the first uh, first picture of the band that ever actually made it overseas, which is hence what the nickname comes. And years ago, I found Bill and got that original copy that's um, all over the place, and he had the only autographed copy. And so it's autographed by the original lineup with Dave, um, Ron McGovney, James, and Lars. And so that, to me, is that's pretty priceless. Uh, you know, that's the only one in the world, and that's been in books all over the place. Um, and then I'm lucky I've got one of the first hundred f- fan club photos that was signed by all four of them. Um, so those are some pretty big ones as well, too. But, you know, again, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Some people may think I'm an absolute fucking moron for having stuff like that. And, <laughs> and, and that and that's OK, that's OK, too. But I mean, yeah. you know, I think one thing everybody would see if they were to come visit my collection and I'm not giving an open invitation to everybody. Sorry, is, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, we'll it, just it, put it, your address. On, we'll tag it on and we'll put it in the right. description, you know, <laughs> right. It's but it's a it's a it's a tour of the history. Right. And yeah. you and I were talking about it and I showed you, you know, the piece I just most recently acquired um, was a piece that was signed by the big four by everybody with the exception yeah. of Jeff Hanneman, who unfortunately passed away. Um, but to have a piece that's signed by everybody that performed in the big four. Um, yeah, to me, that's it, that was special. Right. That was important to have. It's a big milestone yeah. in their career. So, yeah. um, you know, that kind of stuff's pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, what is the most prized possession in your eyes of this question? What is, do you have anything that you just, no matter what you would not trade for is there anything you just cannot let go? Whether it's for a sentimental reason or, you know, historical reason or, you know, I got a, I, I got a couple things, and it's funny because I, I again I had a few people over the last couple of months that have come and visited me, and they all pick out something different that they love, you know. And right. so this one guy Wayne uh, came and visited me from London, and and he picked out a flyer that's from 1985 that's signed by the band, and it says. You know, Metallica doing an in-store appearance, come see Metallica. And he kept using the word raw. He's like, it's a raw piece. It's just a crumbled up yeah. piece of paper. And he loved that piece. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I love that piece, too. You know, and, <laughs> and then, you know, and then I had another guy from uh, from Ohio, Patrick, that came and uh, I, him and I've been trying to connect to concerts for years. And he was in Chicago for something. And he came 
And he picked out a completely different piece. And I love that one too. And so, yeah. you know, each one has a different thing. You know, I have a couple pieces that at the end of the day, if they left my collection, I wouldn't be, you know, I'd miss them, but they wouldn't change my collection. And then there's pieces that like, I know I would never leave. You know, one of my favorites yeah. I would say is, you know, there's the the famous picture that was taken at the El Cerrito mansion of Metallica. And they've got a, they're standing behind a, uh, the kitchen table. They've got Chinese food, you know, all over the place. The noodles are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I've got that signed by all four of them. And so to me, that was just, that was an early piece for me. And, and I just love it. Again, it's just one of those like so innocent pieces. And right. uh, th that's one I, I would probably never get rid of. Yeah. You showed me that one. Is that from the, do you know that I was, is that from like the same photo shoot that from like the master puppets that ended up on the album? Yeah. Know, yeah. That um, I, last year I went to uh, the West coast for the, not the first, not the first time, but I went to the San Francisco area for the first time. Uh, so I did my mini little Metallica pilgrimage. I dragged my wife around and we went to, uh, you know, drove by the El Cerrito house and went, uh, drove by Metallica HQ. And I, you know, stared at the spray paint on the wall till my wife was like, okay, right. enough, <laughs> enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> Back in I'm the rental car. <laughs> I'm, nerdy, I'm nerding out right now. Leave me alone. Yeah. Um, so you had a really cool experience where you got to share some of your collection with Lars. Have you had uh, any opportunities to, you know, kind of interact with other band members at any point and kind of share part of your collection with Ron or um, anybody? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you, you know, I've got a couple of friends that work for Metallica and they have for a while um, and, and they're in some key positions. And so they've been to my house and they've seen it. And it's funny because I always got to preface it because I have a real friendship with these people, but I've got to preface it and say, Hey, before you go down here, I'm not a fucking weirdo and we're, you know, and, and, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, and we're friends because we're friends, not because of Metallica and they see yeah, it. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, Oh my God. Um, yeah. you know, so I, I've had a handful of people that have seen it that are in there. Um, one of the guys that works for Metallica actually took some pictures and sent it to them a couple of years ago, um, because he was just in, you know, disbelief of some of the items that I had. Um, yeah. so he, so I know he sent some to James and Kirk at that time. Um, it was pretty cool to see them respond back and, you know, James wrote, where the fuck are you? And, you know, he told him I was at some guy's house in Chicago. So, um, you know, that, that stuff's pretty cool. You know, of course I, I I'd love for them all to come over and see it and geek out with me. And I know that's never going to happen. So right. I'm going to wake up outside of my dream right now. But, you know, uh, again, the, the fact, the fact that it got that far was, and was acknowledged was cool, but you know, Lars's reaction again to me was unbelievable. Yeah. And he, you know, he has a really good, you know, say what you say about Lars, but he's does an incredible job of making fans feel like they're having one-on-one -on -one personal time. Without and when we, yes. and when we had that time and he literally was grabbing my phone and flipping yeah. through pictures, asking me questions, it was like, this is fucking awesome. You know? Yeah. So it's pretty had, cool. I've had, uh, the privilege to meet Lars, Kirk and Rob at a couple different, um, events. Um, and I have to say, you know, Rob was very nice. Kirk was very nice. But Lars makes you feel like you are the only person that matters in that moment. Yeah. Like he, in, like the other ones, you know, Rob and Kirk, again, very nice. And uh, But they had the reaction you would expect almost like, oh, hey, yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, you're cool. You can get a picture. Move on with your life, right? Lars yeah. like... What's your name? Where are you from? Who's this person you're with? Oh, why are you? Why? Why? What are you do? Like he wants to know like your whole life story, or at least a, 
you feel like he does. You know, like he really is just so good at human connection and just uh, really making every like buddy feel like you're all family there. You know, it's just yeah. his personality. Yeah, and look, you know, I mean, you th- you know, you think about the stories that you hear about Lars as a kid following around, you know, other bands, and you know, and you know, he was a fan once too, and so as as big of a rock star as he is, and I think everybody knows he's got that you know, that rock star mentality and that, yeah. you know, a little bit of pompous, he does a really good job of, of bringing you into his world for a little bit and making you yeah. feel like he did when he was a kid. So you've got to respect him. And, and same with me. I, you know, I've had the chance to meet Rob and, and Kirk and both were nice, but it was more like, yo, yo, nice to meet you. I'm going to go surf, you know, and Lars was like <laughs> trying to, you know, yeah. he's like trying to connect the dots on how we know each other, you know, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's very so. true. Yeah, uh, so. this was awesome. Am I forget anything about this collection? No, look, I mean, it's an honor to talk about it. You know, uh, you know, if if uh, you know, I'd love to have you come over and sometime and see it. And to me, again, you know, just like I was saying, is you know, collecting's all in the eye of the beholder. If you're going to collect yeah. something, collect something you love. You know, make you know, just take pride in it, and you know, don't compare your collection to anybody else's because you could have one piece and love it. You could have. 300 pieces and love it it, it really mm. doesn't matter so you know I, I think the important thing is that you enjoy what you're doing and uh you know it, it, it's all good you know i mean all my metallica friends that i've met you know along the way too i look forward to them coming and seeing it sometime you know themselves as well too yeah i mean i think for me personally the coolest part about um being you know to go back to the human connection thing without getting too corny here the coolest part about being a metallica fan is just you know, that human connection, the biggest takeaway I've had since starting this podcast a little over a year ago, is just all the cool fans that I've met and had on the show. And, um, I've been, I was able to meet up with a couple at, you know, on the worldwide tour and things like that. So just really cool, um, environment and fans. And yeah, uh, I mean, you know, my, you know, my, so I was saying, you know, I had this guy Wayne that came over and Wayne's a pretty good collector that a lot of people know from overseas. And he was coming to Chicago to find, uh, to follow a band started and he actually, they weren't coming. He came to Chicago to see my collection and meet me in person. Then he was touring around the Midwest. They were called 10 years. And so I told my wife, I said, Oh, this, my friend, uh, Wayne's going to come and he's going to see my Metallica collection and he's going to stay with us. And my wife was like, have you ever met this guy in person? And I'm like, no, I haven't, you know, but I've known him online for years. And she was like a little, she was a little spooked out about it at first. And I said, you know, it's, you know, not geeky, but that's the Metallica family, right? We do get this. Yeah. And, and there was, you know, Wayne was amazing to me in person and my wife loved him and my kids absolutely loved him. But to me, it was completely normal that he came over yeah. and spent the night, the first right. night I ever met him, you know? And so <laughs> that, that's, you know, that's, that's the crazy thing about Metallica and Metallica fans, yeah. you know? And, uh, you know, despite what our parents and grandparents think, we're not Satan worshipers or anything <laughs> like that. And, you know, the, 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 the community I think is, is awesome, right? I mean, that's, yeah. That's the best part of this, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, before we leave, couple quick questions. I don't. But I'm gonna yeah. put you on the spot here. No pressure. Oh, all right. Favorite Metallica story? Do you have one? Favorite personal Metallica or just story? like a personal story, or just in general in their lore? Favorite Metallica story? God, 
pass. Too many good ones. Too many, too many, too many good ones. Uh, I went in hot. Know, I, mean, I went in hot there. I started yeah, that, with the barn a, that, burner. That's a, that's a big one. I, you know, I, I'd say probably uh, favorite Metallica story. Probably the first time that I ever saw them in concert, and uh, which was when you know, uh, it was on the uh, poor retouring me. And so I was like 15 years old at that time, I think. Yeah. I went with actually the girl that cut my hair because she told me she was a Metallica <laughs> fan way back in the day. And uh, I just remember when that stage collapsed and the dude ran across the stage on fire. Oh, yeah. I thought the, I was like, what the fuck's happening? And this is before the days of the Internet, right? So <laughs> right, you didn't yeah. know that shit was going to happen. And I thought yeah. the stage was going down. And, you know, I'd say that that was probably a, a pretty cool thing what, was yeah. that first concert. That was really cool, and I loved it. And uh, through the never, when they kind of uh, when they duplicated it again, when they got to that era, yeah. you know, they sort of showcased the different eras of the of their live shows. Um, yeah, no fav- favorite album, dude. I keep it real. I kill them all, I, dude. I love kill them all. You know, I mean, yeah. look, I love all the albums with the exception of Lulu, like we talked and really saying here, but to you know. People, you know, people obviously say Master. I love Master. I love Ride the Lightning. But to me, it's like, you know, the basis of everything is, you know, these 18 and 19-year-old kids just fucking rocking hard. And to me, you know, there's nothing better than turning up, you know, the Four Horsemen, you know, with that halfway shitty sound and cranking it. I think it's just, it's amazing to hear, you know, the what that was. And when you think about what it's become, that just, that to me is awesome. I, you know, I tell you the other yeah. album that I love that a lot of people get a little surprised by uh, I love I love Garage Inc. I love the way it was recorded. Yeah. I love the sound of it. You know, I wish that they recorded more albums in that sound. Um, you know, that was kind of raw, but you know, somewhat produced. And uh, I, I just, you know, I, I thought they did a really good job with that as well, too. Yeah, and there's something um, special I think about a debut album where you just are innocent, a little bit ignorant, and you just have no clue what you're doing. You're figuring out as you go along, and you can capture this like really raw magic, you know. Yeah. And uh, and Grudging, I think they were able to kind of duplicate that to a certain extent because it's not their songs, you know. They just sort of nerd out and geek yeah. out and kind of make it their own, you know. Favorite song. Yeah. Favorite song? <laughs> Probably, I, I guess battery. You know, I mean, yeah. Different point, different points in my life. Everything was different. You know, I may tell you. I said it maybe Four Horsemen too. I just I, I love yeah. Four Horsemen. Um, you know, at one point, obviously it was Harvester, like I told you. So yeah, yeah. At, at some point in my life, every every song's been my favorite. But I think yeah, you know, I I, when you hear battery, you just you just want to fucking break something, right? <laughs> When I uh, when I did the one year show, um, I had uh, somebody on give me their favorite song off each album. So I gave my favorite song of each album, but I said this will change tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and know, I'd, it, I'd I'd reverse the roll on you. What, what's your what's your favorite song? I think I gotta go with if I have to choose one, I gotta go with Master Puppets. I think just because to me. That is just a such a masterful epic, and it sort of has every like if I if nobody had ever heard Metallica before, you could put that song on and it kind of epitomizes everything that they do well. It has yeah. like the heavy fast parts, the heavy groove parts, the whole beautiful like interlude with the great guitar harmonies, the soaring solos, 
um, dark lyrics. You know, it's just so well done. And it's, um, it, it's one of those songs that's like, it's eight minutes long and you're like, it felt like it was like a three minute song. It just flows so well and flies right. by and master puppets as an album, I think from start to finish is my personal favorite album. So that's just, I mean, just, just to go with the title track on the, on my yeah. personal and, favorite. You and, know? And, and doesn't, it doesn't blow your mind when you think that those guys were like 23 years old writing that shit. You yeah. know, that's, yeah. that's I mean, I, I, as a musician myself, I'm like, or I, I'm a bass player, and so Cliff Burn was a big influence on me. I'm like, how did he do anesthesia pulling teeth at the age he did it? You know, and right. And I think the same thing. You know, when they wrote Master Puppets, they were they were kids, right? Right. <laughs> you know, right. That's it's ama- It's an amazing thing when you when you go back and you know think of you know, where, where they were at their life at that time. And to have something that's, you know, and these songs have truly lasted the test of time. And, you know, yeah. I mean, you go to a concert and when you still hear, you know, 18,000 people inside an indoor arena or a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand people in an outside reading and you hear them chanting die in the middle of <laughs> creep. You know what I mean? It's like, it's amazing. You know, yeah. creeping death is 34 years old, 35 yeah. years old at this point. And people are, have an energy like it, like they just heard it for the first time on the radio. I know. I I I gotta say when I uh I saw them at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey on the World's Wire tour, and you know I've been to my fair share of Metallica shows, and I feel like I know what to expect from a Metallica crowd. And you know we were all, I was on the field with my wife, and uh, you know the band comes on, they start playing, they open up with Hardwired. And, you know, you get jostled a bit and everybody tries to find their footing and you have, like, a little mosh pit that breaks out. I'm like, I told my wife, I'm like, she's like, let's move back. I'm like, it's, it's fine. It's going to settle down after a couple songs. It always does. It right. did not. Though I spent, like, the whole show, like, elbowing and jostling and protect. I'm like, I'm like, this is one of the craziest Metallica shows I've been to. And we're how far along into their career, you know? But yeah, it's, it's incredible. I was, you know, I was I was at their last show at Grand Rapids before they left America, and I was on the rail for yeah. it. And I think I spent half my time fighting people, not literally, but fighting them from you know throwing me off the rail. You know, and I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. with my hands and feet. It's awesome. And I I think a, a an awesome thing about seeing them too is like like you said, they can play Seek and Destroy, they can play Creeping Death, they can play Master Puppets. People are going to sing along as if they've never heard that song before. Even Inter Sandman, which is probably the most overplayed song in their career, they they play it as if it's the first time they've ever played it. And people listen to it and react to it as if it's the first time they've ever listened to it. And But on the flip side, the new songs just get a great reaction too. I'm not oh, sure wow. I've, I've ever seen a band with their kind of longevity who can come in and play like four or five new songs and have it mixed so well with all the classic stuff and get a similar reaction with people singing along and chanting and all like, I just cannot name that, that band, you know, from any genre, you know, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. If you see Megadeth these days and they play a new song, the new album, you're like, "Oh, do you, do you know this song?" You, right, you know. Right. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go piss right now. I don't know this song, you know, and that doesn't right, happen yeah. at a Metallica show. I'm nah. I'm ready to piss. I'd rather piss my pants than miss a, <laughs> miss a song. <laughs> yeah. I, I 
I think I ran to pee twice right before they came on, just so just to make sure the just beer to... was out of me, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, so. All right, Brian. This was so awesome. Thank you so hey, much for coming on. This is, hey, this is awesome. And I say to anybody that's listening, you know what? The best thing to do, chat about Metallica with people because – you know, we lo- we love it, and there's not enough people that we can have these conversations with. So, to me, thank you for putting the show on. Thank you for uh, having me on. This is a, a treat. I don't do stuff like this too often because I like to collect my, like I said, for myself. Yeah. But to just sit and talk about Metallica with another, you know, Metallica fan is is, is the best thing. So, appreciate it. And everybody Agreed. out there fucking rock and roll, listen to, listen to Metallica. <laughs> and you'll have to come back on the show sometime if you want. And we, we don't have to talk anything about the collection. We can just talk Metallica, music, whatever's going on in their world, you know, or whatever. Um, uh, we'll just I, shoot the shit. I'm in, I'm in, and I'll tell you what, what we'll do is one time you'll get to Chicago and we'll do a, we'll do a show from the basement and we can, uh, you know, we can just uh, drink in our <laughs> night, take shots of black and then stare at the walls and talk Metallica. That sounds amazing. By the way, um, just tried Internight Pilsner for, uh, the first time the other day and love it. Fantastic. And I don't yeah. say that. And I don't say that cause it's Metallica's beer. I, I've been a huge no. fan. I live in, I live in Southern California for a while. So I've always loved stone brew, um, arrogant yeah. bastard, which is one of the beers is one of my favorites. And so, yeah. you know, when I knew they were doing it with it's stone with stone, I knew it was going to be something good. And yeah. you know, it says it's a Pilsner, but it's not a Pilsner, right? I mean, no. you know, stone beers have a bite to them and uh, yeah. they're all hoppy. And, and I really love the beer, I, you know, and if Metallica's name wasn't on it, it would be a beer I drink regularly regardless. Yeah, I agree. I To me, I, I described it similar. I said, to me, it's it tastes more like a Session IPA than a Pilsner. For sure. You know, it, 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 it's light and crisp, but still has that hoppiness, you know, that you'd expect from an IPA. I remind no me more of like a Founders All Day or something like that, you know. And I yep. gotta say too, Blackened. I'm I'm not a big liquor guy. I I I like my beer. I'm not a big liquor guy. Not a big whiskey guy. I really really enjoy Blackened. Maybe because I'm not a whiskey guy, it's a little bit lighter, a little bit smoother. But I really enjoy it. So yeah, I, Chicago- I got I got I got some buddies that are huge whiskey fans. They're not big Metallica fans to the point where they never picked this yeah. up. And they came over and I said, I want you to try this. Didn't even tell them what it was. And yeah. they loved it. And I, you know, and then you become a nerd and say, oh, it's back by Metallica. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, then they look well, at me like, dude, really? You know, but uh, it, it's, 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 it's good nectar. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. I mean, and you do have to respect that piece of Metallica is that, that you know, yeah. they're not going down the way of Kiss where they'll throw their name on no. anything and they really – Look, yeah. you know, I understand this day and age, they, you know, there's different avenues to make money because they don't make it off of selling yeah. records anymore. And the good thing we can say is, you know what, what they're doing, they're at least doing and they're putting a lot of effort into making it something yeah. successful. And there's there's bands that have made shitty product, you know, for mm-hmm. 20 years already. Um, and people buy it because the band's name's on this. These are products that you yeah. know, a non-Metallica fan can truly enjoy. Well, and that's what I think, you know, makes Metallica so unique and makes them who they are and as popular as they are because they consistently do things in this manner. And like when you look at Blackened, if you're not a Metallica fan, you would not even know they were tied in with the product. It does not say Metallica on the bottle. There's no Metallica font on the bottle. It's just sort of a standalone product that ties in with their world. I mean, I was I 
I, uh, I live in Connecticut. I work in New York City. Um, so I'm walking to work from the train one day, and I see a New York City taxi parked, and on top they have a blackened American whiskey sign. There's no mention of Metallica. There's, you know, you, you would have no clue. Just be like, oh, there's a new yeah. whiskey out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? I think, and, and Yeah. I think as a fan, we need to appreciate that, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, embrace the change and embrace the times. And, you know, the fact that they're not going on the cheap and they've worked, you know, look, Dave Pickle, the last distiller, was one of the best distillers in, you know, in yeah. all of whiskey with Maker's Mark and Whistlepig. You know, yeah. and Stone's arguably the, you know, the founder of, you know, the craft beer movement. So you got to appreciate yeah. that Metallica's doing it right, you know? Yeah, you know, what's funny is um, when I tracked down Blackened at a local liquor store, you know, I, I bought a bottle and uh, I've since have had to buy a second bottle. That's how much I've enjoyed it. But I bought one bottle to start with. And um, when I was checking out, the guy was like, oh, have you tried this yet? And I was like, no. Uh, and he's like, oh, this has been like flying off the shelves here. I was like, oh, really? I'm like, well, I'm just a Metallica fan, so I figured, you know, I would try it. And he goes, he goes, yeah. Well, we, you know, obviously we get a lot of Metallica fans, but uh, it, if you're like into whiskey, people are coming and buying it and collecting because of Dave Pickerel, you know, and his legacy in that world. So it's it was interesting to hear, you know, it and sort of like two fan bases meeting over one common, yeah product you know especially because of his legacy and what he left behind yeah that's you know, the last thing he ever put his name to so it's really cool yeah very cool no doubt part of the history yep i got a bot i got a bottle in the collection i bought two one that not <laughs> open and and one that got drank a while ago and i gotta finish <laughs> finish and get some more of it but yeah, i do I got... always have but i do always have entry night in the fridge i you know i uh i you know like i said it you know obviously metallica is one that drew me to it but it's a it's a beer that i like and yeah, you know, I've 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 always got a case, usually two cases in the fridge, and when people come over, it's the first thing I offer them too. Yeah, it's I it, and I'm with you. It's not just because it's their beer. I know, like when I when I have one, my wife sort of like, "Do you really like that?" I'm like, "No, I legitimately right. like it." You know, right? I, I'm not I'm not going out and buying Metallica skateboards. I don't skateboard, you know, but right, I I can appreciate this product, you know. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> All right, thank you again, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank um, you for any, having me. Anything you want to um, mention? I know you have the collectors group. Anything you want to uh, throw out there at the end, or no? If you look, join the join the Metallica Collectors page. It's not Metallica Collectors page. It's just Metallica Collectors on Facebook. There's ten thousand people on it, but uh, you know, we just you know want to talk Metallica, talk Metallica collecting. Um, just keep this community alive for sure. I mean, the fucking guys are 55 plus years old, so we yeah. wonder how much longer it's going to go on. So, you know, I love 40 doing stuff more like years this. at least. 40 uh, more years crazy. at least. <laughs> it's, not, it's not making the stones. But yeah, honestly, anybody that ever wants to chat Metallica, you'd find me, you know, find me in that group and uh, look forward to to keep talking and listen to this podcast. It's fantastic. Honestly, an honor to be here. And thank you for doing this for all of us Metallica fans. Oh, my pleasure. This is a, a passion project. This is something I do for fun. I don't put money into it. I don't get money from it. I just, you know, I do it because I like it. Nice. Well, I look forward to being on the next uh, next opportunity I can. I will be right back in the, uh, in, in the co-pilot seat with you. Look forward to talking more Metallica. Perfect. Sounds awesome. Thank you again. All right, man. All right. Talk to you later.
And that wraps up episode 19 of Metallicast. It was a true pleasure having Brian on. Talk to him about his collection. Super nice guy. Super cool stories about uh, literally his Hall of Fame worthy collection. Check out the Facebook group that he was talking about, Metallica Collectors, if you are interested. Thousands of members. Great place to talk Metallica, trade items, sell items. Ask questions about items you may have acquired or are interested in acquiring. So do yourself a favor if you're interested in collecting and check out that group. Follow Metallicast on Facebook as well, as well as Twitter and Instagram. I am at MetallicastPod on all three. Please, if you're not already downloading the episodes, if you're not already a subscriber, please download, subscribe, and leave a positive review on iTunes Five-star reviews help out the podcast. Leave a nice comment to make me feel all warm and fuzzy. I've said in the past how much I like that. I just really, really like it. I like to be appreciated, and I like the attention. But please, it helps out the podcast. Speaking of podcasts, I have a couple major announcements to make. I have a second podcast called The Corpse Paint Podcast it is hosted by me and my good, good friend, Greg. The two of us drink beers, play a David Ellison drinking game. If you want to know what that is, you have to listen to the show. Uh, and we talk about metal that is a little bit more extreme than Metallica. Black death metal, especially. Uh, we play some songs. We talk about our favorite bands. And we talk a whole lot of silly nonsense that will hopefully make you laugh and giggle um right now corpse paint podcast is on anchor you should be able to find it as well on fansonexperts.com like you can find metallicast and we are slowly spreading to all podcast platforms right now it's on google stitcher um should be coming to itunes and spotify soon fingers crossed so please If you're into extreme metal, if you want to have a good time, if you want to find out what the David Elson drinking game is all about, download and subscribe to the Corpse Paint Podcast. And you can follow that on Twitter as well, at the CP Podcast 666 because hell's Satan! So that is major podcast news number one. Major podcast news number two has to do with this podcast right here, Metallicast. Last summer, I did a track-by-track breakdown of the Injustice for All album, releasing a new new episode about a song every single week until I had gone through all eight tracks. Well, this summer, I am happy to announce that I am going to do a track-by-track breakdown, weekly episodes for 10 weeks for... The epic, mammoth, gigantically selling Black Album. This summer, launching the last week in June. Last week in June. You can find part one of Metallicast Black Summer. 
I'm doing all 12 songs over 10 weeks, so I'll combine. Uh, there'll be a couple weeks where I talk about two songs, but it'll be all 12 songs for 10 weeks. If you're interested in contributing, hit me up on social media. Email the show, Metallicast at fans.experts.com. Leave a voicemail at the Metallicast hotline, 203-548-0609. But Metallicast Black Summer is coming the last week of June. So for more details, please check out the social media that I already plugged. As always, I want to end with a cover song. So in tribute to Brian, whose first metallic song I ever heard was Harvester of Sorrow. Here is a cover of Harvester of Sorrow by a band called Colorblind. This is a track off the Metal Militia Metallica tribute album that came out in 1996. It is by a band called Colorblind. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, metal up your ass. Yeah! Get back.
Fans, not experts.